Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, I chose an episode from Suspense entitled Mission Completed. One of radio's most prestigious and longest-running shows, Suspense premiered on CBS in 1942 and continued to thrill audiences until its final broadcast in 1962. The show quickly gained a reputation for its mastery of the genre, attracting some of radio's greatest talents, including the star of today's episode, Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart made his film debut in 1934 as Jack Burton in the comedy short Art Trouble. Mr. Stewart was not the star of the film. In fact, his role was so small he wasn't even credited. The stars were Harry Gribben, a silent film comedian known for his portrayal of mustachioed villains in keystone comedies, and a young Shemp Howard, future member of the Three Stooges comedy team. From this inauspicious beginning, Jimmy Stewart built a legendary film career, appearing in over 80 films, including Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, It's a Wonderful Life, Best Movie Ever, Harvey, Rear Window, Vertigo, and Anatomy of a Murder. In 1940, Stewart was one of the first movie stars to put his career on hold in order to join the war effort. As the story goes, Stewart didn't meet the minimum weight requirement for the Air Force and was turned away twice before eventually convincing a recruitment officer to turn a blind eye. During the war, he rose to the rank of colonel, earning the Air Medal, the Distinguished Flying Cross, and seven battle stars. When the war ended, Stewart continued to serve with the Air Force Reserve, retiring in 1959 with the rank of Brigadier General. Mission Completed was written by Seattle radio celebrity John R. Forrest, known to his friends and colleagues as Johnny Forrest. His first professional radio gig was in 1930 as a writer and performer on the Gilmore Fun Circus radio show. Johnny went on to write for Lux Radio Theater, Creeps by Night, and Suspense before landing the first of many jobs for Seattle broadcasting company KOL. Over the course of a long career with KOL, Johnny served as newscaster, disc jockey, department manager, and program director. He also wrote musicals, jingles, and at least one hit song, Blue Tears, recorded by Lola Sugia in 1960. Now, let's listen to Mission Completed, from Suspense, first aired December 1st, 1949. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Ninety-six thousand dealers present Mr. James Stewart in Mission Completed, a suspense play produced and edited by William Spear. A L R S P. A L R S P. Hey, I'm the Autolite Resistor Spark Plug Salesman here. I know, Harlow, but I'd like to get in a plug for the plugs too. Well, let's have it again. Sure. A L R S P. Yes, A L R S P. Autolite Resistor Spark Plugs. And only Autolite resistor spark plugs have that exclusive built-in 10,000-ohm Autolite resistor. 
That means 200% longer electrode life, less spark plug interference with radio and television. Why, with wide gap Autolite resistor spark plugs, your engine idles smoother, runs better on leaner gas mixtures, actually saves you gas. So, friends, see your Autolite spark plug dealer and have him install a set of the new sensational Autolite resistor spark plugs in your car. Remember, you're always right with Autolite. And now, with the performance of James Stewart in Mission Completed, a special Pearl Harbor anniversary drama, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. Are you all right for the night, Tom? How do you know when he's all right? Tom and I have a secret code, don't we, Tom? He blinks once for yes and twice for no. Are you okay, Tom? Night. Okay. Sure, I'm okay. I've been okay ever since I got liberated from Sagamo Prison in Tokyo in 1945. Yeah, ever since I woke up in this veteran's hospital four years ago, I've been okay. I got nothing to do but lie flat on my back and let my eyes wander over the ceiling and look at Suki smiling down at me. Suki seems to smile down at me from the little plaster square of ceiling that reminds me of the prison yard in Sagamo. He can't help smiling and laughing because he knows I can't get at him. Suki knows I'm paralyzed. He knows I can only blink my eyes once for yes and twice for no. You see, Suki was in charge of the camp at Sagamo. And he helped slaughter guys like Camel and Jones, Mayberry, Evans, too many more to count. First he starved them until they couldn't crawl, and then he... Well, well anyway, just before we got liberated, I fuzzed up in my mind. I couldn't remember anything. Sometime later, I woke up in a vet's hospital, California, USA. And I've been on my back for four years staring at that little square. Well, once in a while they dump me in a wheelchair and push me out into the sunshine and wheel me up and down the walk like I was a baby. Only babies can cry. Which road today, Tom? Do we go down the walk through the grounds or the sidewalk down by the flower shop? Just open your eyes wide if it's a sidewalk. Oh, good. You'll see all the flowers. Oh, here comes Janet, Willie Murdoch. Remember him? Hello, Tom. Hello, Tom. Hi, Janet. How you doing? I'm getting in case for the dance tonight. Am I really? Oh, yes, I'll see you there. Hi. Isn't Janet a pretty girl? I'll bet you have a nice girl someplace. Come on now, haven't you? We're almost to the flower shop, Tom. Oh, see that man in the window. Isn't that a pretty bouquet you stand together? Oh, look how tan he is. Oh, this is a ch... I'm sitting in a wheelchair, paralyzed, looking at a man on a flower shop window, and the man I'm looking at is Suki. And while I'm looking at him, something's happening to me. My fingers that I haven't worked for four years are grabbing the arms of the wheelchair and my legs are straining and pushing against the floor. The same legs I haven't used for 48 months. And I want to cry out and I feel my tongue getting ready to... Tom. Tom, what's the matter with you? Come on, Tom, now relax. Maybe you don't like flowers. Ha <laughs> ha. That's just like a man. Doesn't like flowers. Do you want to go home now, Tom? It's Suki. 
A man on the flower shop window, and it's Suki. I know it is. If we can get closer, all I have to do is look at that scar down the side of his face. I gave him that scar in Sagamo. Do you want to go home, Tom? Now, don't frown like that. Tom, what's the matter? Do you want to go closer? Okay, if you want to go closer to the flower shop. Suki, all right. Yeah, it was Suki. We got real close to the shop and I got a good look. The scar, scar on his face stood out like a half moon. He was busy with flowers. <laughs> flowers? I, I couldn't imagine him working with flowers, but it was Suki. And this time I didn't clench my fingers or strain my legs. I just lay back in the chair and relaxed. And I began to plan. I began to plan. I began a plan that I'd started the day I looked around and I found myself in a Jap prison camp. A plan that almost worked the day Suki got that scar. It didn't work that day. It's going to work now. I'll leave you here by the door a minute, Tom. Then we'll put you to bed. All right, Tom. get moved over there. Didn't I leave you right here by the door? Tom, did you wheel yourself over there? Oh, so that's it. Somebody came in here and gave you a push. Oh, one day you'll be pushing that chair around like mad, Tom. Just you wait. Just you wait. All right, now we'll get ready for bed. You ready for me? Just about. Would you bring Dr. Benson here? Okay. Can't imagine who just walked in here and gave you a shove. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if you did it yourself? Didn't know it. You sent for me, Miss Rhodes. He must have used his hands. He wheeled himself across the room. Mm-hmm. How are you tonight, Tom? I think that sunshine is doing you some good. Uh, Tom, did you move yourself across the room? And if you did, blink your eyes once. And if you didn't, blink them twice. Uh, no, you didn't do it, huh? Uh, that's all. Thank you, Tom. I got myself on a jam already. It's funny how I grabbed those wheels instinctively. I, I guess I gave myself a shove. Now no, I'm in bed, and I'm looking up at that little square. The hospital's quiet, except for Murdoch. You can always hear him mumbling someplace far off. So then I'm turning over on my face in bed, moving muscles I haven't moved for four long years. And in a moment, I, I, I was sitting up. I was, I was trying to light my own cigarette. But then, and then I, I got so exhausted, I, I decided to wait till the next night. And it was the same thing over again. Night after night, I practiced at being alive. Ten days later, I got out of bed and I stood up. And two weeks later, I was so strong that I walked around the room ten times. I never felt better in my life. That night, I nearly got caught. I was sitting in my chair, smoking a cigarette. I scrambled into bed. Sleep, Tom? Well, you've been having visitors, Tom. The air's full of smoke. Tom, are you asleep? Oh, yeah, it's a 
close on it. Nothing ever came of it, though, but I was more careful after that. A week went by. Every day brought me closer and closer to Suki. And Suki closer and closer to some of his own medicine right back in his face. And then something happened that spoiled everything. Tom, we've got good news for you this morning. Look how wide his eyes are. You better not keep him waiting. Uh, Tom, you're getting out of here. We're moving you to within 20 miles of your old hometown. You're going to Colville Hospital. Better tell him when. Yes. Tomorrow morning. He doesn't seem to like it. Tom, what's the matter? Suki was laughing now. He stood on that little square in the ceiling. He laughed down at me because... He knew I was going away and I'd never get him. So they were shipping me out on Sunday. Yeah. But tomorrow was Sunday. And then I had a plan. I had a desperate plan. It might work and it might not. But if it did, it would bring Suki right into my room... You see, the plan wouldn't work except today was Saturday. Today was Saturday. And right the day before they were shipping me to Colville, 3,000 miles away. Today, yeah, today was Saturday. And on Saturday... This is your last spin around the grounds, Tom. And here comes Jackie. I'll bet you forgot this was Saturday and Jackie's out of school. And he's going to play Mr. Wheelchair Conductor. Hello, Jackie. You ready to take over? Sure thing, Miss Rose. I get him lots of fun and keep him up full time. Then when you're through, you can help Janet with murder. Yes, Miss Rose. I'll see you later. You be careful. You bet. All right, kid, you can stop. What? Did you say something? I said stop right here. Gosh, I didn't know you could talk, mister. Well, sure, I'll stop right here, but well, maybe I'd better get an order. Stay right here and shut up. You Listen to me. You and I are going to have a little secret. Are you with me? What kind of a secret? You just don't say anything about what you see or hear until tomorrow. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to help a soldier or are you going to spill everything? What? What? Well, I'll help, of course. All right, now. Now, keep pushing me until we get down to that tavern. Then push me in that little alcove there. Come on, come on, come on. What are we waiting for? Hurry up. Yeah, mister. Yeah, but, but I shouldn't be doing this, should I? That's the best thing you ever did. I'll go into that tavern and get me three dollars worth of quarters. Here's three bucks. I'm going to use this phone. And don't get any funny ideas about calling the hospital. You're working with me, aren't you, kid? I guess so. All right, now. I'm going to watch you through the glass of this phone booth. Stay right out there where I can see you. Get me? Yes, sir. All right. All right, here goes. You shouldn't get up. Try to get off of your wheelchair. I'm already out. All right, now stand right there. Stand where I can see you. Long distance, one. Long distance. I want to talk to Bill Mason at Mason's real estate office in San Bernardino. What is your name, please? My name's Tom Warner. That'll be a dollar and a quarter for three minutes. A dollar? 
please deposit a dollar and a quarter for three minutes. Dollar and a quarter. Here is your party. Hello, Bill. Hello, who's this? Tom. Tom Warner. Oh, you're kidding. Who is this? It's Tom. It's Tom, you dope. I... Why, What's I... the matter? What's the matter? Just can't get it through my thick head, that's all. Last time I heard about you... I know, I know, I know. But it's all over now. I'm alive. Now, Bill, listen to me. Now, listen close. That's an awful close, Bill. Bill. Suki's alive. Suki? Yeah, yeah, Suki. He's working in a flower shop in the hospital here. Are you crazy? Now, no, I've seen him. I've watched him. I've noticed all his gestures. Yeah, he's got that scar I gave him right on the side of his face. Hey, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, Jeff, go on. Now, I want you to get a hold of Curly. And tonight, the three of us will blast him right out of the face of the earth. Tom, are you okay? What's the matter with you? I found Suki. He's here right in the United States where we can get at him. Well, if you're sure it's Suki, why don't you call the cops or the FBI? Because I know what'll happen to him then. He'll end up in an American jail and he'll have a nice soft bed to sleep in. He'll get three good hot meals a day. And he'll get all the comforts of home. Look what he gave to us out in your life, Bill. Now, look, if you start driving right now, you can be here by 9 o'clock. Tom, the war's over. I forgot all that stuff a long time ago. I want you to forget it, too. Sure, sure. And you can forget it all if you want to. I know why you're forgetting it. It's because you're a chicken, that's why. You haven't got the guts to face him, and your lousy yellow and your backbone has turned to a sponge. I only wish Mayberry and Evans were all here to listen to the lousy rot that was dripping out of you. Tom, what's the matter? I'm I'm blacking out. Hang on, Tom, hang on. What place are you calling from, Tom? Tom. I'm going Right on my face. Where are you, Tom? Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to know? Autolite is bringing you Mr. James Stewart in Mission Completed. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Arm from the S-A-L-R-S-P-S. Sell Autolite Resistor Spark Plug Society. Oh, yes, yes, I'm a charter member, and since I've been on the job, millions and millions of Autolite Resistor Spark Plugs have been sold. Sure, we know, and that's why we decided to award you the Velvet Hammer. The Velvet Hammer? Yes, it's for nailing down sales with subtle finesse. Don't need one. Autolite Resistor Spark Plugs are so good they sell themselves. Why, those worthy wizards of cars, Autolite resistor spark plugs mean faster starts at low temperatures. With that exclusive built-in 10,000-ohm Autolite resistor, Autolite resistor spark plugs let your engine idle smoother, run better on leaner gas mixtures, save you gas. And friends, Autolite resistor spark plugs have 200% longer electrode life. Cut down on spark plug interference with radio and television. So stop at your neighborhood Autolite dealers and have him install a set of the wide-gap Autolite resistor spark plugs or the famous regular-type Autolite spark plug, long recognized for dependability. Remember, either way, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage our star James Stewart in Mission Completed, a tale well-calculated to keep you in suspense. Tom? Tom, can you hear me? Help me, kid. Gee, Tom. you shouldn't have got up, mister. There, why, why brace the chair. Just slide back. 
Yeah, I'll be all right. Maybe I need a little air. She? You look as white as a sheet. I don't say anything about this, kid. Just keep your mouth shut until tomorrow, will you? Tomorrow morning, I'll be going away. You promise me that? Well, okay. Okay, now, take me home, huh? Yes, sir. I was back in my room, flattened out like a pancake. And the bed in the room kept spinning around, wouldn't stay still. Pretty soon I got a sort of a second wind. I decided to try to get up out of bed. I found I could get up okay. I was awful weak. I'd just about given up my plan when I happened to look out the window. The day watchman was changing places with the night patrolman. And the item that caught my eye was a big... That revolver bulging at the man's side. Maybe my plan would work after all. I didn't need Bill, Bill Mason and Curly and anybody else. All I needed was my two hands, a little luck. See, I'd have to make another phone call. Well, well there's a phone on this floor right in front of Murdoch's door. This is Dr. Benson. Oh, yes, Doctor. Uh, would you send a bouquet of flowers? Uh, that is, I mean, uh, roses. Uh, yeah, a lot of big roses up to 411. 411. See, uh, one of the patients is leaving, and we'd like to make him feel good. It's kind of a surprise just before he goes to sleep, and the ward's quiet. You see, about uh, 9 o'clock this evening. Okay, dokie. You want some fern to go with it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, think that'd be nice. Uh, just, just a minute. Who delivers at that hour? Have you got someone? Oh, I deliver myself, just before I close up. Okie dokie. Fine. Fine, thank you. I just got the phone back on the hook when Dr. Benson and two nurses came walking along. Like a shot, I dropped to the floor of the phone booth, and I tried to double up like an accordion. My heart beat so loudly, I, I was afraid they'd hear it. But drowning out in my heart was Murdoch saying something. Uh, hey. Tom's on the phone. Don't be silly. Yeah? Go back to sleep. Yeah. Okay. I held my breath. But they kept on walking down the hall. And they turned into the solarium. I got up. I, I got the door open. I almost fell across the hall into my room. I lay back in the bed casting and waiting for my pulse to get back to normal. And it was 8 o'clock, getting dark outside. The only sound was the clock ticking in the hall. I was getting all the breaks. A summer shower had just come up, light wind blowing. I got down the hall all right and through the solarium to the fire escape. It was easy going down, hugging the shadows. Pretty soon I was at the bottom. I spotted the patrolman sitting under the little eaves at the tool shed. He's trying to keep out of the rain. My hand closed around a broken brick that had fallen off the building. I crept up and back of him. I got the brick ready to smash him on the head when I suddenly realized he was asleep. 
I took a step real close. Yeah. Oh. And then I had his revolver and I was pointing it right into his eyes, which were still blinking off some sleep. And he muttered and then he started to yell. One little whisper and this goes off right in your face. Now get up and get into that tool shed. Sure. Open the door and crawl in. Come on, quick. All right, now take that as a piece of tape. Tie your feet together. Come on, hurry up. Tight, hurry. What are you trying to do, fella? Shut up. Do as I say. I made him tie his feet together with a piece of tape and lie flat in his face while I wound long strips of tape around his oh, wrist. Take it easy. I tied his wrists together and then I hogtied his wrists and his feet and pulled them up tight behind him. Then I turned him over on his side and I crammed two handkerchiefs into his mouth. Put long strips of tape around those. And the rain was coming down in buckets as it made my way back to the fire escape. I made me take the first two flights. And then three. And finally, finally hit four. I slid on my face out cold. I don't know how long I lay there on those iron bars of the fire escape. It was too long for my plans. Now, there was nobody in the hall, so I ran for it. Still nobody in the hall. Still nobody. Nobody in my room. I slid open the door and I started for bed. The bed met me halfway and I, I lay there soaking wet with a gun sticking out of my pocket. I spun the cylinder. I saw six forty-five caliber bullets. And Fifteen minutes went by. And it was nine o'clock. The ward was very quiet. You could have heard a pin drop. Nothing sounded until I heard the sound of the elevator. And it's stopping on four. Someone had got out of the elevator and was padding down the hall. And it was the same little shuffle I'd heard every day for three years in a bug-infested hellhole called a prison camp. Yeah, the same footsteps, the footsteps I used to turn my brain to water and send my heart right down to my shoes. The footsteps that meant someone was going to get up. And I wanted to yell and scream, Come on, Suki, it's different now. Come on, Suki. I'm waiting for you. I couldn't breathe very good. Every breath. I took ground on Suki's feet. So I just, I just, I just took a little short breath. And I waited. And I... I had to grab the revolver with both hands to keep it steady. And Suki was getting closer. And so I released the safety catch on it. And I tried to keep my wobbly hand steady. And he was almost here now. The knob was turning in the door. You killed Suki, Tom. He's dead. And he'll never bother you again. You killed him. Yes, I did. I killed Suki. Now, give me the gun, Tom. Yeah, that's it. Yes, you killed Suki in your mind. 
He's dead in your mind. You can forget him now, Tom. Yeah, yeah I, I think I'd better sit down. Miss Rhodes, shove that wheelchair out of the room. You can sit in the chair, Tom, but not in a wheelchair. You're through with that for good. What? Now, Jimmy. What's that? Are you all right? Yes, Doctor. No powder burns? No, I'm fine, Doctor. Good, good. Now, Tom. Tom, I want you to meet Jimmy Cato, who works in our flower shop here, and who was Lieutenant Cato of the armed forces in Italy not so long ago. Yeah, I killed Suki. I, ki- I killed him. Yes, Suki. yes. In your mind, you killed Suki, Tom, and you're okay now. The man you thought was Suki was Jimmy Cato. He was born and raised here in this community, and he has almost as many medals as you have. Now, I want you to shake hands with him. I'm I'm paralyzed. All I can do is blink my eyes. No, no, no. You are not Tom. You are going to shake hands with Jimmy and thank him. Oh, Oh, Cato. I'm sorry. Oh, nothing to be sorry about. When Dr. Benson told me about your reaction the day you saw me, I, I was glad to help out. You see, Tom, we're pretty thorough here. When you thought you saw Suki, Miss Rhodes made a notation that you flexed muscles you hadn't commanded for nearly four years. And so we went from there. Well, you, you must have thick skin, Cato. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good shot. No, no, no. The patrolmen on the grounds here, Tom, always carry blanks, no bullets. You're going home tomorrow, Tom. Well on the way to complete recovery. And in your mind, there's a big X mark. Canceling out a nightmare of four years' duration. And written in huge letters is a beautiful sign, Tom. And it says to you, once and for all, mission completed. Suspense, presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, James Stewart. Oh, Mr. Wilcox, Mr. Wilcox. Well, Gracie, Alan, what are you doing here? Well, I came to ask you and Jimmy Stewart if you can fix it with Autolite for my husband, Sugar Throat Burns, to sing on Suspense. Our sponsor will hear it and realize how great George is, and then he'll let him sing on our show Wednesday night. Well, uh, uh, look, Gracie, suspense is all booked up for next week. Mickey Rooney, Mickey Rooney will be on. Well, how about the week after that, Mr. Stewart? No, they're booked up for that week, too. Lana Turner will be here that week. As a matter of fact, they're booked up for the next 4,000 weeks. Oh, 4,000 weeks would be about... Uh... Uh, that's 80 years. Oh, uh, how about the week after that? Uh, well, I've got to leave, Gracie. Uh, tell George that he has all my condolences. Oh, really? I'm surprised they fit him. You know, you're so tall. <laughs> Gracie, would you mind if I get in just one teensy-weensy word about auto-life resistor spark plugs? Teensy-weensy? Oh, you can do better than that. If George were here, I bet he could sing about your spark plugs. No, I'll bet he could at that. Everyone is singing the praises of Autolite resistor spark plugs. And that goes for the 400 other products made by Autolite for cars, trucks, planes, and boats in 28 plants coast to coast. Those are nice lyrics. Autolite also builds complete electrical systems for many makes of America's finest cars, batteries, spark plugs, generators, coils, distributors, starting motors, bullseye sealed beam headlights. All engineered to fit together perfectly, work together perfectly, because they're a perfect team. You wouldn't want George to sing that? Uh, no. Friends, don't accept electrical parts supposed to be as good. Ask for and insist on Autolite original factory parts at your neighborhood service station, car dealer, garage, or repair shop. Remember, you're always right with Autolite. You sure, Mr. Wilcox, that you wouldn't want George to sing that? I'm sure. Oh, well, good night and happy Autolite. (laughs) 
Next Thursday for Suspense, Mickey Rooney will be our star. The play is called For Love or Murder. And it is, as we say... A tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Tonight's Suspense play was produced and edited by William Spear and directed by Norman MacDonald. Music for Suspense is composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Bluskin. Mission Completed is an original radio play by John R. Forrest. James Stewart can currently be seen starred in the title role of the MGM picture, The Stratton Story. You can buy Autolite resistor or regular spark plugs, Autolite safeful batteries, Autolite electrical parts at your neighborhood Autolite dealers. Switch to Autolite. Good night. That was Mission Completed from Suspense. Here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was a uh, selection by Joshua for this week's podcast. And on paper, when you see suspense and you see Jimmy Stewart, you're thinking, well, we pretty much can't fail here, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's got to be great. And I'm wondering, had you heard this before you picked it for the podcast? Was it something you were familiar with and said, I want to bring it to the podcast? Or did you see Jimmy Stewart in suspense? Well, I'm going to listen to that. Well, I will ruin the final vote a little and say this is one of my all-time favorite episodes of suspense. And I first heard it probably 20 years ago uh, when I was in college. And I loved it ever since for... All sorts of reasons we'll probably get into. I hope so. we got got to kill some time here. <laughs> yeah. Let's send it to the vote. <laughs> so, yeah, this is one I have been saving to bring to the podcast just because I don't want to bring all my absolute favorites. You have hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of favorites. <laughs> They're all my favorites. <laughs> I mean, just to start with, Jimmy Stewart's performance in this mm-hmm. is not just amazing. I would say it is one of the best radio performances I have heard. And I'm surprised that I don't hear more talk of it in old-time radio Mm -hmm. circles. To me, this is on par with Agnes Moorhead and Sorry, Wrong Number, some of the amazing William Conrad performances I have heard. Yeah, Jimmy Stewart, for as much as modern ears might just know him as being imitated because he's so distinctive, before he was imitated to death, he was phenomenal. Anytime you see him performing, he's just amazing yeah one of the standout moments of this is the actor choice who knows maybe it was the director's choice but the choice that was made that while narrating my story i'm going to narrate it as if it's happening right now so you have two worlds going on one it's past tense and this Mm -hmm. is what happened but I'm going to present it and perform it in a way as if it's happening now consequently when he gets to that whisper waiting for the guy to come out of the elevator. It's just phenomenally, ready, suspenseful. (laughs) (laughs) I think we noted William Conrad doing this in A Study in Wax, Mm. uh, where he used some of that same technique. And I'm surprised more performers didn't do it. But it also goes back to the script. You need a script with a certain amount of intensity for that to work. Otherwise, it could get really mm-hmm. tedious every time you need some exposition and you're trying to make it too dramatic. I have very, very few notes other than the way this is performed and written, and be it Stewart's choice or director's choice, how it was read, how to convey this story is just beautifully done. He plays the brokenness of this character without any inhibitions Mm -hmm. whatsoever. And I think it's interesting because it predates 
some of the slightly more... Aw, shucks, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, I mean, he's going to do more roles like this after this radio show, starting right. in the 50s and 60s. A, a lot more flawed, Correct. nuanced characters. This is still toward the end of his, yeah, golly gee whiz phase. Well, uh, you have to kind of think that, because he was in the war for several years, that this is something he knew firsthand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one gets out of a war unaffected, period. You know, and I'm sure this was very close to yeah. home for him. He gives it all the weight it deserves. I'm on the fence about what this is about at the end. Yeah. That this is a trick to get him to heal. First of all, seems like a, a really complicated and somewhat dangerous and harrowing thing to do <laughs> and not very professional. And also that it was just a trick, that he didn't actually find this guy. There was a lot of endings to this that could have happened, and I'm not so sure that that ending is the best possible ending. It's really interesting because the <laughs> performances, the writing, and actually just getting from beat to beat is excellent. There is so much outstanding stuff there that when you get to the point of, okay, now here's what the actual plot is, it's not as grounded in reality as everything else is. It's a little like, well, it's jarring. And it's interesting that it resolves with this doctor just firmly asserting, now you are cured. I've just put you through this traumatic thing, and I'm going to assert to you that you're fine, and maybe you'll buy it. Yeah. There's something about this ending, and I will tell you right now, Tim, I won't even look at him. not going to look at him. I'm just going to look at you. He's right over there. I'm not going to look <laughs> at him. I can feel it coming. He's mad at us right now. So I'm not mad. I just have a totally <laughs> just different reading of it. No. <laughs> I think those criticisms are utterly legitimate as a standalone suspense script, but I think this has to be read as something a little more complex because that is a ridiculous and preposterously overcomplicated plot. The doctor has essentially lit a fuse and stepped back. He, <laughs> right. you know, in real life, we right. go, he could have killed that kid. He could have killed the right. security yes. guard. He could have escaped and gone and found his old cowardly friends who wouldn't come help him murder the Japanese man and kill them too. Like <laughs> everything could have gone he, horrendously wrong. Could have made wrong. him worse. Yeah, by so, seeing Suki. Yes. I agree with that as a standalone plot point, but I think. I view this through the lens of an anniversary of the Pearl Harbor attack. And to get psychology nerdy, what they're playing on is the psychoanalytic catharsis technique. And I think the script is structured so well that I forgive that plot point because what it's moving toward is this catharsis. Mm -hmm. And I feel as a listener, I experience the same catharsis that (laughs) Jimmy Stewart experiences when I realize... Oh, he didn't kill Suki. He hasn't ruined his entire life that he's actually cured, as preposterous as it is, because then I think right. on a third level, the doctor's speech at the end is not to Jimmy Stewart. No, it's, it's to, to the audience. Oh, this, Let's move on. And exactly I actually tear up whenever right. I hear that's that. That's exactly what I arrived at, is that this is not about the story. It is about... Four years, three years after the war ended, it's going out to all the vets that are suffering from all sorts of things. Still suffering. And still suffering in 1949 when this went on the air. And it's, you can do it. You can recover from this. And a nation that was had put Asian Americans yep. in internment camps. Right. And that's what I think is the other extremely complicated layer of this is it takes the time to go, we know you're hurting soldiers. We know you're hurting America but it is not the fault of Japanese-Americans. It takes right. yeah. a lot of clever points because when uh, the florist 
Jimmy Cato is playing the evil Japanese Suki. guard, yeah. he does a very cliche Japanese accent. He mm-hmm. uses like the okie dokie idiom. Yeah. And then when he's introduced as himself, he has a very faint accent, probably just there to help you identify him as the character you heard before. It's one of Charlie Chan's sons, (laughs) you know, just that perfect American accent. And the fact that the script takes the time to point out to Jimmy Stewart's character that he possibly has more medals than you. Right. That's, I think, just a really amazing moment. uh, Particularly for 1949. This story had an ulterior motive, and that was... Probably why Jimmy mm-hmm. wanted to do it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was it's a it's, support group it's on the air therapy through a story. disguised as a suspense story. Correct, and it, the fact that the suspense story part of it is, as Tim said, just so well constructed up to that point. Yeah. And he, let's take it even a step back, because the first time I heard it, just how jaw dropping that initial plot twist is when the paralyzed vet is being pushed through the grounds and sees the, the right, Japanese yeah. soldier who tortured him in the mm-hmm. florist shop. That's just mm-hmm. so like, what? Right. And, and it's another clever bit of writing because that opens up so many questions. But they so instantly put you into the head of Jimmy Stewart mm-hmm. that you don't get too distracted by the fact the script doesn't try to answer any questions because Jimmy Stewart's character doesn't try to answer any questions. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. how on earth is this prison guard who tortured and killed your fellow soldiers a florist in California across the Mm -hmm. street but the fact that he needs it to be him which feeds into that end and the psychological diagnosis and you realize that you were kind of willing to let it be him because Jimmy Stewart needed it to be him so badly. The doctor made this call the only way he's going to heal is if he kills this guy that's an interesting doctor choice did you guys make any parallels story-wise? I made a lot of them to Rear Window. Uh, and he's not able to move, and mm-hmm. he's uh, unable to help or to take action. Yeah, I thought of that a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's predates that yep. by quite a bit. Just the intensity of the situation the script starts in. He's paralyzed. He can only blink for yes or no. He's staring up at a ceiling he's square. Captain, he's Captain Pike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boop, boop. That's where Gene Roddenberry got it. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to separate the two halves Mm -hmm. because they're so essential to one another, yet totally legit as a listener to find them jarring because that's part of the plan of this is to have these two... Pull the rug off under you. Yep, jarring things come together. I don't really have an issue with the ending when I come to the conclusion that it is serving an ulterior motive, and that is, please forgive the word, but propaganda-ish in its intent. When you approach it that way, I have no issue with it. I know for me, the tone was so different that it seemed like, what? Yes. Mm -hmm. I suddenly skip into a different sort of show. But it wouldn't if we were alive in 1949. As Joshua said, might be in tears and like, thank you so much. I or my father or my brother are struggling and it was great to hear that because everybody was touched by that. So uh, are you guys ready for me to blow your minds? Always. I cannot wait. So in 1993, I was back in South Dakota where I grew up for the summer. Uh, And that was also, I believe, the 75th anniversary of Mount Rushmore. So there was this big event and I was a little intern running around and then had all kinds of amazing guests, including president at the time, George H.W. Bush. And it had Billy D. Williams, Rosemary Clooney. Wow. And Jimmy Stewart. I met Jimmy Stewart. 
Wow. My mind is blown. So far, wait, I'm wait, really wait, wait, mad wait. at you. Can I touch you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was no like conversation. It was like, this is Jimmy Stewart. Uh, you're Jimmy Stewart. And that oh, was wow. pretty it's, much it. But It's the Rosemary Clooney one that makes <laughs> me mad. I wish I could just shake her hand. Thank you. <laughs> uh, actually, it's not true. It's, it's Billy the Billy Dewey. Yeah. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> no, nah, that wasn't him, right? <laughs> I love how little you understand Star Wars. But <laughs> One so, of them said that. It, oh, yeah, and, and it works every time. <laughs> that was Billy Dewey. <laughs> <laughs> That's an amazing story, Tim. I thought you were going to tell me that you too were paralyzed. <laughs> Boop. <laughs> he shook Jimmy Stewart's hand and became instantly paralyzed for the next four years. <laughs> I find this episode phenomenal in a lot of ways. And it's really proof, again, that you need so many components to tell a good story. Mm-hmm. And you need a great writer that understands the medium that you're working in and to be able to work within that medium, be it on stage or radio or on television, you need to understand your medium really well, which Mm -hmm. the suspense does. You need performers that understand that as well and can convey that script as well as they did. And I think it was so smart to get Jimmy Stewart in to play this character because not just his acting ability, but I think the script and the director plays on our natural affection for Jimmy Stewart. So it allows Stewart to push the performance into some edgier, darker areas because this guy is not entirely sympathetic during this performance. His call to his war buddy is distressing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He basically just rages until he almost passes out because this guy won't get in a car and come kill a guy with him. He's full of hate. Yeah. Just and anger. Rage. And he's sitting there, go in that bar, get a, a Bloody Mary, a chaser, and five dimes or five quarters. <laughs> the, the kid is, yeah, you're right. That's a whole other thing. He's just mean to that kid and manipulates him and, and really, in a subtle way, threatens him to not tell anybody. Basically saying you're unpatriotic, you wouldn't help a veteran. And who is that kid? Is that some kind of community outreach? It was. I, I caught it in my second okay. listen because I was trying to figure it out. It's yeah, Saturday. Oh, yeah. Saturdays. Saturdays, the school kids come out to help okay. push it, people around. Yeah. I thought maybe it was like a Boy Scout earning his help a vet kill a floor. Kind of badge. is. <laughs> that badge has got a weird emblem. It's hard to get. Yeah. <laughs> It's volunteer work on the yeah. weekends is what yeah. it is. But what a brilliant idea to sick twisted Jimmy Stewart on a really great kid actor who sounded just so innocent. So and loss, yeah. Again, <laughs> we talk about whiz. this a lot. It's such a risk to have an actual kid. Worth and, it this time. And worth it this time. I find the adult doing the voice distracting, but much more reliable mm-hmm. <laughs> as a voice. But... You know, what is it, uh, the one that the kids are making mistakes? Oh, Fugue in C minor. Yeah. <laughs> it accidentally worked in that one. Here, yes. if the kid had flubbed it, it would have been pretty bad, but he's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Ironically, it's the great Jimmy Stewart who flubs his lines at the end when yeah. he's dealing with <laughs> Gracie. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that. You have all these elements, right? You, yeah. you have a great story, a great actor, da da da. All of these things we just discussed. And the gravy on the top. Is Gracie oh Allen God. appearing at the end? She's really she's funny. She's so good. Yeah. And Jimmy is just such a great foil for her, I mm-hmm. guess, in the end. 
4,000 weeks. That's, that's how long we're booked out for. Oh, the condolences joke got me. Yes. <laughs> the condolences joke was one of the best lines I've heard in a long time, and that's mm. 70 years old, man. I also just want to highlight, because it was a section I just loved in listening to it, of the section of from the fire escape to getting the brick to the guard mm-hmm. that is so visceral, and you're in his head, and just word by word... It's really compelling um, and so well done that even if it weren't couched in this very significant historical sort of statement, like that's really good writing. Mm-hmm. And the last really brilliant thing is the call to his old army buddy. We talked about how angry he gets, but I really liked his buddy who basically foreshadows the end of the play by saying, you really need to forget that. I, I forgot that long ago. It, right. The war is yep. over. Quit calling me. This is why I don't contact you anymore, <laughs> nutbag. Here's my question to you guys before we send it to the vote. If it wasn't that ending, regardless if you love that ending and think it's perfect or not, if you were given a choice to write a different ending to this, what happened, what would you write? Because in my head I went, oh, I get why that happened. It wasn't my favorite. We talked about it. I don't need to rehash. To me, I would have written that all of it was some sort of fever dream in the internment camp. And he woke up and he was still there. And maybe he had shot Suki. He tried to kill Suki. That's how Suki got the scar. So that wouldn't have been far-fetched. But it would be that have been completely a... depressing. And, so depressing. And vets across the Gut-wrenching. country He's would have hung themselves <laughs> afterwards. It would have been He's terrible. Not, but I'm saying but, without But it would that, work. Without that risk of <laughs> making so many vets and people sad... <laughs> It would be a great twist and a horrifying ending where you go, oh, my God, he's never been home. He's still yeah. there. Any other thoughts how you would I go? I was worried because he essentially, as far as I could tell, just shot a gun in the dark about who did he just shoot, right? Yeah. Um, like his nurse? Yeah. Or his doctor? Nurse or his buddy who finally got cowed in the Oh, what if it was so that? well set up, though, but you totally believe that he just fired that gun. At yeah. no point do I go, that was a trick, it was blanks. We don't know who he hit in that moment, like you said, but to me, that felt like a legitimate act of violence that we are going to yeah. see the consequences, the consequences of. Yeah. Yeah. But I like Tim's thought that instead of that ending, he shoots the wrong person that walked in the room. Well, yeah, I don't necessarily say that that's the ending I was hoping for, but that's the ending I was worried about. Right. I'm just so happy with this ending because every other ending is either vile, as in he mm-hmm. gets this murderous vengeance that is going to do nothing for him, or it's some sort of tragedy in your version or in Tim's version. And so it's like, this is such a relief. Like I said, it's as cathartic for the listener as it is for him in therapy. It is Suki. He shows up with flowers. He has a second thought. (laughs) They hug and become best friends. (laughs) And it's the... uh... Suki and Jimmy spinoff. Correct. (laughs) There. There's another version of that. I think that one works. Let's do that one. What Uh, if you shot Gracie Allen? (laughs) <laughs> oh, that'd be terrible. George. Yeah, and her dying words were, Let George sing. <laughs> Clunk. Good night, uh, Gracie. Oh, oh, oh. Now I'm sad. Uh, well, you knew it. that joke was just sitting in between all three of us. Someone had to grab it and say it. All right, final vote. I It's even by suspense standards, I believe it to be a classic and have so much historical significance that you can't pass on that. And 
despite the historical significance of the ending and that you have to understand the time and society at that time, I think it stands the test of time because of the other 27 minutes. Um, And consequently, I just, nothing but praise. Yeah, all that. It's classic. It hits every base. Totally agree. It's it's a classic for me. It juggles so many different things and somehow makes it all work. One of my all-time favorites. Lots of ways to listen, lots of ways to uh, see us, and lots of uh, ways to participate. Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. It is the home of this podcast. Uh, You'll find other episodes here. It's a great way to get a hold of us. You can click on links to our social media on Facebook or Instagram. You can leave us messages or comments on individual episodes. Uh, If you have an episode you want to add to our listener library so that our listeners have recommended to us, let us know. We'll put it on our list. Get to it eventually. It's a pretty long list, but we love getting suggestions. I think that's all that's on the web page. (laughs) <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> you just described the entire webpage. Uh, you can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. Become a member of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. Uh, we really appreciate that financial support. There are a lot of benefits for joining, and you can find them all on patreon.com slash the morals. Also, uh, you can go to iTunes and write a review. I'd love it if someone would just write a review that had one word. And was just, Shulky! That'd be great. Uh, five stars. <laughs> um, we also have a great Facebook group, uh, the Mysterious Old Listening Group. Please join that. We have a lot of fun conversations with our listeners. Uh, we're also currently running a poll on what we should listen to for our 150th episode. So you can join that group and vote with everybody else. Uh, thank you so much. Also, we have a YouTube channel. Please become a subscriber to that. It's a great way to just get notifications in your email right away when we put up the next podcast uh, and a very simple way to listen to the podcast. Also, like our Facebook page, and then you'll also get notifications about all sorts of things. And as Tim mentioned, we do live performances. We have a lot of live performances coming up over the next six months. If you're from out of town and you're planning to visit, come let us know. Also, if you live in the Twin Cities area and you see that we're doing a show and you're coming to please come introduce yourselves to us we'd love to meet you we at love the show. shaking people's hands and then standing there awkwardly <laughs> <laughs> we're joking we've we've had great conversations with listeners and we're happy to meet you yeah it's always weird how nice and well behaved and no just you're good people you are <laughs> all right so what is coming up next Next, we have a listener request from Will, and it's an episode of The Lone Ranger entitled Legacy of a Ghost. Until then... Look out! This is for Camel! And this is for Joe! And this is for Mayberry and Evans and Murphy! Uh, Good night, and happy auto life.